0: Welcome in, it's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brindle, and a special guest this week as we get through the uh, the dog days of training camp. Practice 14 tonight out at Camp Higher Ground uh, here on Thursday, and uh, it, it's getting to that point where making that trek is uh, is a little treacherous, but we do it for the love of the game. Welcome in, Justin. How are you this wonderful, wonderful Thursday afternoon?
1: Just uh, enjoying the, the the last few moments of an uneventful off <laughs> For those
0: for those who uh, who have been following along this off season, and I assume most of you have, Justin texted me in I don't know late May, early June, and he's like, "Is is there ever a break in the off season?" I was like, "Usually there's a little bit of one, but this one with the John Brandon stuff and and everything that has happened this off season." Uh, it's the, it's the epitome of, uh, no days off, my friend, no days off.
1: I shouldn't say this, but I kind of feel like the season will be less busy.
0: It might be I mean, probably not, but it might be <laughs> like this, this summer was something else. I, I've been doing this for 13 years. I've never seen anything like this summer. Uh, before we get started, would like to, uh, give a shout out to our sponsor for this football season for the BCJ podcast, Taft's Brewporium. We will once again. Be organizing road game watch parties at Porium. They will start with the Ohio State game, noon on a Saturday. Make sure you are there. I will be there. I am. Uh, I am bypassing dealing with a hundred and ten thousand people in order to be with my friends at Porium to watch the Bearcats take on the Buckeyes in Columbus. Uh, Justin has been known to to pop in and make an appearance. So you never know you you might see na- the now famous Justin Williams <laughs> or infamous if you're a Michigan fan. That's all right. they're, they're not big fans of ours or yours, but you know, it happens.
1: <laughs> one uh, one one prominent member of the Cincinnati media just informed me to never wear a name tag in Hanover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! But Tass Brewery, great beer, great pizza. They also have Tass Ale House uh, downtown in Over the Rhine, and they have amazing tri-tip steak sandwiches uh, and tri-tip steak products, as well as great beer and uh, a great place if you're trying to entertain your kid during a football game as well, right, Justin?
1: That's right. My, my, my child has been known to make appearances as well.
0: So uh, let's get into this. We'll start with uh, what I think last night was the end of the Luke Fickle, Jim Harbaugh saga, unless they really do uh, have a cage match. <laughs> or a, a royal rumble of sorts between the two of them. Gotta love B-Fox.
1: Hey, as he says, he just asks the questions people want to know the answers to. So.
0: <laughs> My favorite was Kaz's reaction. All right, all right, <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh, it was fantastic last night. It, it is higher.
1: worth watching the video of Fickle reacting to it because you can't really capture it in print just like no. how how you know well he handled that.
0: And I thought... It, for, for those that are maybe uh, have been in a cave, uh, the 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 situation between Michigan and Cincinnati and the waiver for James Hudson uh, was rekindled this week when when this very young man, aspiring uh, sports journalist, wrote a, a wonderful story about the situation. He talked to Glenda Hudson, who is the mother of James Hudson, he talked to Jim Harbaugh, surprisingly, I don't know if you want to get into that or not. But And then uh, he talked to Luke Fickle and, and got all three sides of the story, uh, wrote a great piece, and that uh, sparked some debate. Fortunately for us, Jim Harbaugh can't help himself in a situation like that. Uh, he also revealed that he is an avid reader of Justin Williams' work in The Athletic. <laughs> and uh, Luke Fickle, not so much, but Luke, no, Fickle, no. Luke Fickle's wife
1: is um, a apparently. big reader of your work. Apparently, I I I can't. I guess I can't say I'm surprised <laughs> that Fickle's not reading my stuff. But. Well, as
0: we've been told, she runs the family, so it's true. It would make sense that she would take in the information and then pass it along to her husband, as opposed to the other way around.
1: She, that is it's straight out of Marcus Freeman's mouth that, yeah. that she's the boss. So, uh,
0: so I wanted to give a little um a little insight into this and how kind of some of this came about. Um, It has been pointed out by every media member in town when they show up at practice uh, as they, for some reason, love to take pictures and video of Justin and I speaking during practice. I think everybody in town at some point has done that now. Um, There's a lot of, you know, information that that passes through uh, while you're hanging out at a a camp or a practice or whatever the case may be. And about halfway through the, uh, the Hudson situation, We had gotten wind of, and and this is mentioned by by Glenda uh, Hudson in your story, uh, a letter that had been written from Michigan to the NCAA, uh, copied to Cincinnati, that was not – it made it clear, that letter, from what we had heard. I have not seen the letter. You have not seen the letter. Correct. um, It had made it pretty clear that it was a sign that Michigan was not going to be cooperative. Um, And it kind of sparked our interest in not only the letter, but the process, and you were able to uh, beautifully handle it. I am glad you did, because you are much more diplomatic than I. (laughs) Uh, I would not have handled myself as professionally in some of those situations, so kudos to you. I appreciate Uh, it. You got to know your scouting report. That was not a that was not a job for me.
1: <laughs> the, the, the Michigan fans apparently still didn't didn't think I was diplomatic, but I, I appreciate you saying that.
0: Well, I didn't say you were diplomatic. I just said you were more diplomatic than me, <laughs> which that's really not a high bar to jump over if we're being honest here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but when from from hearing about that letter, which gosh, that was what June that that happened for us. Mm-hmm. Um, when hearing about that, how did that? Kind of spark things and lead to the article that we got this week, and kind of the the final final chapter in this saga, at least as it pertains to uh, to Michigan and, and Cincinnati and, and James Hudson.
1: Yeah, I mean the the funny thing about the Hudson situation is, so that w- it was what mid May when he he kind of first announced on Twitter that the initial waiver had been denied, and he kind of came forth with you know his mental health struggles and things like that. And, you know, we've always kind of been asking ever since then, hey, can we talk to anybody about this? And, you know, I think because of the waiver process, both with James and some of the other players, UC was, you know, they, they didn't really want to adjudicate it publicly, I guess, in, in the media. Um, but as, as the whole Hudson process specifically went along and there were, you know— things that we were hearing not things that we necessarily could report because you know they they were either off the record or just they were kind of hearsay type deals but you kept hearing about you know different steps in the process and at some point it just you know it all added up to the end the the denial but I was curious the whole time like w- what exactly happened can we get people to talk about all these things that no one was talking about during this process And, you know, UC, for for many reasons, I think, is not going to make James available. Um, And and perhaps he doesn't want to talk either. You know, I don't know exactly, but I I understand their point, their perspective on that. Um, But Glenda, especially recently, James's mother, has gotten more vocal um, on social media. And, you know, and she did that news interview uh, with a Toledo station after Harbaugh's Big Ten media day comments. And, you know, I figured – why don't, why don't I see if I can just track her down and and reach out to her and see if she was interested in talking? And it it turns out that she definitely was. And so from that, it kind of sparked what turned into the the piece that went out on Tuesday.
0: So you you send Michigan a, a notification that 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 you're going to be doing this piece. You, no details, just, you know, I'm working on a piece on this situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, for complete transparency, I had talked to Glenda, and she had, you know, said some things, and I felt it was only fair that Michigan had a chance to to comment on them if they wanted to.
0: And we're at practice Monday. You send that out Monday morning. You come to practice like a like a good soldier <laughs> when you probably should have been at home because you had a lot to deal with on that day. Um, and out of nowhere, you get a call from a, a Michigan number, and it, and it just so happens to be. Jim Harbaugh and and somebody in the administration. How surprising was that to you that you didn't get a blanket statement? You actually got a phone call from Jim Harbaugh.
1: I thought I might get a call from, you know, someone in the Michigan media office because I'd put, you know, and I sent the email, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, And so I thought maybe I'd get, you know, whether it was kind of an on-the-record statement over the phone or just someone wanting to ask a few more questions. So I wasn't totally surprised when I got the call. What I was more surprised by was when the call said, you know, I have Jim Harbaugh here. um, Who wants to talk about the, you know, the, the email you sent into us um, asking for comment that, that part I was not expecting. I kind of thought what would happen is that Michigan, you know, would, would give some kind of a statement, whether they spoke specifically to to certain um, questions I'd sent them or just kind of a a general blanket one. Um, And then, you know, they would move on. And so, when that happened, that was when I I realized that the the story was definitely kind of getting bigger and and probably taking a a different shape. And yeah, as you said, at that point I was I was kind of wishing I was not forty minutes away, <laughs> sitting in my car doing phone interviews. <laughs> so
0: then after practice, you you get Luke Fickle on record to talk about things from his perspective. Um, again, not expected, but once you get Harbaugh on record, that that that's kind of how the the situation goes um that that leads to the story and then after the story you get harbaugh for what six minutes seven minutes making comments about your story and taking a chance right, at luke fickle
1: that was tuesday night tuesday uh, which night. I'm, I'm assuming it was kind of a similar situation after they had some kind of practice, practice or workout yeah. or something
0: but you had to honestly when that came up you had to just like put your head in your hands and be like i oh god more here comes more
1: yeah, I guess I was just I was wondering what the what the reception. You never really know. Like some stories you feel like, yeah, this is this is going to be bigger and as the story went along and kind of more people at the athletics started getting involved on an in editing side and things like that, I realized that it was, you know, going to be bigger than just kind of a normal camp story obviously. But they don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it is it's just hard to judge like you know, how how will this be received? How many people will it reach? But, you know, for, for many reasons, I think many obvious reasons, because of how big Michigan is in the college football landscape. Yeah, you know, the moment that he kind of went out in his press conference and he responded to the story, that's when, like, I, I realized that it was going to get picked up everywhere and, and, and move along everywhere and that we were in for a couple interesting days.
0: And then I thought last night after practice, I thought Fickle handled Putting an end to it about as well as humanly possible, I felt he said he he what he wanted to get off his chest. Um, it, it seemed like for him, that's probably going to be the last we're going to hear of it, and he's moving on. I don't know that you know Harbaugh will respond to anything he said today. I don't think anything was really that inflammatory, um, but it made for uh, usually that middle week of camp is pretty grueling. It made for a very interesting middle week of camp.
1: Yeah. Still grueling, but... Yeah, of course.
0: (laughs) But just a a little bit more to talk about while you're standing out there for three hours every day.
1: Yeah, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect from from Fickle last night. Um, I wonder... We talked about this. I wonder if it had been a morning practice, you know, and it was a little bit fresher after everything, if, if there would have been a different response. Um, but I think you're starting to see a little bit of a malaise with with this story now. And, and I yeah. think everyone sensed that. And I think Fickle just realized, like, he said his piece. There's no sense in in getting in, you know, too much of a back and forth. And I'm going to guess that Harbaugh probably feels the same way. I'd, I'd be surprised if we heard anything um, from, from Harbaugh as well.
0: I put this on Twitter last night and I'm interested in your thoughts. <clears throat> the the Harbaugh continued on Tuesday night to harp on James Hudson switching positions back to defensive line. When he came out of high school, he was considered a defensive line recruit. And then he got to Michigan, moved to offensive line, and then when he transferred to Cincinnati. He actually participated, and a lot of people might not remember this. You might not remember this. He participated in the bowl practices mm-hmm. as a left tackle. Right. Like, I I was really confused on Harbaugh bringing up anything about offensive line, defensive line. Like, to me, that was the one thing in this whole thing that just was completely out of place because – Cincinnati recruited him as a tackle like they brought him in as a tackle he was here the first day he was on campus he was at a bowl practice working with the third team at left tackle like that that to me just signaled that like Harbaugh was more disconnected from this situation than people realized
1: yeah I mean it's it's felt through all of this you know from whether it was Harbaugh's previous comments, you know, but before the story, or, or talking to him this week, I just it almost feels like they're they're arguing about the same issue or talking about the same issue, but they're everyone's f- focusing on different points. And you know, the whether it was the position thing or or Harbaugh, you know, has continually brought up that that he wants the the one time penalty free transfer, um, and you know, like that part, no one is arguing with the the position thing. I, I do, I I'm I'm curious. It doesn't fit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I obviously Fickle said last night that that was not what they talked about. So again, it's kind of a he said he said situation. But from our perspective, granted, we're around UC, we're not around Michigan. We're talking to Fickle a lot more than than Harbaugh. But at no point did either of us hear or get any sense that Hudson wasn't coming in as an offensive lineman. Um,
0: he did offer to give us his notes.
1: <laughs> Fickle did offer to give us notes, which also concerns me a little bit. Like, is is he <laughs> is he taking notes on every interview we do with him? You know, like, it's how, how how documented is is all of our interactions with him? Um, what is it? Well, I'd love to see the what is what else is he taking notes on? But yeah, it just there there seems it almost seems like they're arguing about different things or they're they're focusing on different things. And, and Harbaugh focusing on the, the position change and the one-time transfer thing, uh, I don't think that actually had much to do with what Fickle is talking about.
0: Yeah, I think Fickle was talking about the letter, even though he can't talk about it specifically, was talking about the letter and the difference in experience he had dealing with Ohio State and Alabama than the experience he had in dealing with Michigan. Uh, when it comes to getting the the waivers to get these guys eligible, is that kind of the read you get?
1: Yeah, you know, so I do think you know I I asked Fickle about the letter on uh, Monday and you know he couldn't talk about it for for FERPA reasons, but he kind of talked about his reaction um, to it um, and in a sense confirming that. The letter does exist, and that there was something that was sent in. But, and then addition to that, I, you know, I think his focus and I think his biggest, Fickle's biggest thing through this whole process was it's important to, for James to play. And, you know, that's specific to James in this scenario, but I think for him, it's like it's important for these kids to be on the field. It doesn't make sense. If there are ways for them to not sit out, shouldn't we be doing everything? in order to help them play, whether it's a player on your team or a player who has left and is going somewhere else. And, you know, Michigan has has repeatedly said that this isn't a coach-to-coach, program-to-program thing. It's it's done by the NCAA, and there, there is some truth to that, that the NCAA is the ones making the decisions. Um, but it seems like they are saying, like, we're going to put it completely in their hands, and Fickle is saying, why wouldn't you try to help a kid who is no longer on your team? Get on the field as soon as possible when it when it really has no impact on on them you know they're not playing Michigan this year and so and it seems like whether it's almost like they're just talking back and forth in two different directions about the same issue
0: yeah um, one last question on this. I know a lot of people wonder this uh, I have my opinion that I'll get to after you answer. Do you think this is an Ohio State Michigan thing
1: <laughs> based on some of the like Twitter and story comments that's clearly part of it like one of the things that keeps that I keep see getting brought up is you know why isn't why aren't people making a bigger deal out of the fact that Fickle used to be at Ohio State and like I get that I I get the whole Ohio State Michigan thing but like no one's saying why isn't anyone bringing up that Jim Harbaugh coached the 49ers you know or or something like that like uh, it's, Well
0: because the 49ers don't hate Michigan.
1: Right, but it's just like <laughs> I I guess I I understand why fans feel that way. I honestly, I mean, I, you know, Luke Fickle is an Ohio state graduate and, and, and an alumni and he played there and and all those kind of things. I know he loves Ohio state, but like, it's not something he talks about or brings up.
0: True. I do think for Harbaugh, it, it was part of it.
1: Maybe it was. I think that was more of a, a, a fan thing. I think if Harbaugh and Fickle both thought less about that. I think they have their reasons for why they feel the way they do, but I think it's more just the, the fans can't separate that idea michigan fans you know associate luke fickle with ohio state for so many years and again i I understand why that's the case why fans do that but i think that's one of those things that fans care a lot more about than you know the people the people involved Uh,
0: the other the only thing i will say to that is i do think there's a uh a human element to this and i would guess like harbaugh is a lifelong diehard michigan guy fickle is a lifelong diehard ohio state guy my guess is coming in. They probably didn't care for each other.
1: <laughs> I think that's like, probably safe to say. Yeah, they,
0: they weren't sent. They're not on each other's Christmas card list, right? Right. I wonder just how much. I, I don't think it was a major portion of it, but I wonder how much from the start was like, I, I'm not, I'm not doing him any favors.
1: Yeah, I, I, I do, I do agree with you that I think there wasn't. They weren't maybe probably starting this whole thing off on. On the best foot, not that they necessarily had any issues in the past or anything like that, but you know, maybe less inclined to to help someone out that you don't have any kind of a previous relationship with,
0: and and might hate their general existence. (laughs) But you know, that's the nature of rivalries. That's why this stuff is fun. That's why college sports is fun. All right, man. I, I think we we've let's let's consider that the cap. On the James Hudson saga of two, the summer of 2019, I think we've reached a point. I think I think your work was very necessary, sir. Thank you. In, in that we got to a point where everybody has has had their say. Unfortunately, it did not turn out uh, the way that that many would have wanted it to for James Hudson. But I think we've reached a point now where we can move past it. Agreed.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think Fickle made his thoughts on that pretty clear last night, um, and I think, I think that's the way we should all operate on moving forward.
0: Unless there is a cage match. <laughs> then a fight to the death. I, look, I don't know that there's anybody in football that I would want to be in a in a in a fight with. Other, like Luke Fickle is like the top of that list.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's – especially among head coaches –
0: the guy could have, if he wanted to explore that avenue, he very likely would have been an Olympic wrestler. I, I'm not tangling with that bear. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna open the fridge. I'm gonna say, take whatever you want. <laughs> this is and- good. This is the stuff that's really good.
1: And he, he's a diligent note taker, so you know yeah. he's done his homework.
0: Yeah, like he's he's got detailed notes on it. I'm not messing with that guy. I, I don't. I don't. If Harbaugh was smart, eh, If Harbaugh was smart, that would be a uh, a cage match. He would decline and and say maybe next time. Do <laughs> you got anybody? How about see that? If we get deeper into this, that whole staff might be a staff. I just don't. You wanna you wanna get in a fight with John Tenuta?
1: Well, that's a, I mean, that's a totally different, that's, you know, you're in a, you're not only in a physical battle, but a mental <laughs> battle. We've seen him, you know, tear people down.
0: Uh, Marcus Freeman, you want to fight with him? I don't, the the quiet ones are the ones you have to worry about, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the market to really fight anyone, but
0: well, uh, no, but like <laughs> as we go down the roster here, Brian Mason, kind of the same way. Like, I think Brian Mason might be more. Like vicious than anybody else on the staff.
1: Scrappy for sure.
0: Yeah, like he might literally rip your arm off and beat you with it.
1: The only one like Doug Phillips, you know, he'd find a. Yeah. Way to he's too nice. There, to, you know, you'd you'd end up having a beer with him, you know, in, in Pop- the end. Of- I think
0: Denbrock maybe too like that.
1: Yeah, that's true. Both those guys.
0: Denbrock would try to like kill you with with humor, because he's one of the funniest guys I've ever been around. Like he would try to joke his way through that situation. So we've got the offensive coordinator and the running back coach are two guys. Chad Wilt, oh my God, he would wear you out. Oh yeah. He just wouldn't stop talking. They'd be like, Are you ready? And he would have an eight minute answer. <laughs> you know what? I think we are ready. I think we are ready. <laughs> I love Coach Wilt. Hey,
1: yeah, what was that? Was the like one of the first thing we asked Fickle was like, I guess you don't have to worry about like Wilt being excited for you know an early morning practice or anything like that. Well, that, we guy, got, that well, guy's the, ready to go. We
0: we got him the first time in the spring, and we asked him three questions and got eight minutes of video. Yeah, it was glorious. I mean, for for a, for a transcribing perspective, it's terrible, but from a reporting perspective, that's exactly the kind of guy you want to put the mic in front of. All right, let's. Uh, you have coming up here you've got an appointment with your wife you've got to get to so let's let's swing our focus to camp and it's, uh, it's not
1: like judge or anything you made that sound a little bit ominous
0: well it's with <laughs> it's with a team of lawyers um <laughs> you haven't made that that news public yet so i won't mention what the uh, appointment is for Fair enough. <laughs> justin's only going to be with the athletic for a he's gonna have to take a break uh, for some <laughs> legal situations i'm kidding kidding um camp 13 days in it's been an interesting camp so far Uh, I think maybe the most interesting thing of camp is something we saw yesterday I don't know if you'll agree with me with this or not but we talked about it a lot yesterday Darian Beaver sliding into that first team Jack linebacker spot yesterday we don't know that that's you know a permanent move it was a a one-day practice thing Jarrell White is going to see the field Um, he's too good of a player not to, but this is something from the day Darian Beavers got to campus. All of us just looked at each other and and, and the one thing I've been doing this a long time now, there are guys that come along that just look different than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And Darian Beavers is one of those dudes that looks different than everybody else. And that he's got size, he's got speed, he's got athleticism, he's got length. He just walks onto the field, and your eyes are like, your eyes gravitate towards him. So, seeing that move happen yesterday, did it feel to you like it was inevitable? Did you think Jarrell White was going to be able to hold him off for like? What was your take on seeing Beavers with the first team at, at the sniper position?
1: Yeah, I mean, early on the questions were always because it was about whether he was going to get a waiver, and so I, you know, I think part of it was them, you know, trying to to plan and not assume too much that he would be out there and then once that happened what two two and a half weeks ago at this point uh, you know it was pretty clear like he's gonna have an impact on the field how soon will it be you know a starting or majority of the snaps impact and yeah like you know it's it's tough in camp to judge you know certain aspects of the game but when a guy flashes as much as he does like he had that one interception on a screen real early in camp yeah and it's just like you know there aren't many guys on the field who can make that play with with his length and his speed and and the position he's playing but yeah the the sniper thing you know all last year when they kind of first started really talking about that position and what they wanted out of it And, and you know Malik Clements was a good example in that he was a former safety you know had length had size had speed and Jarrell doesn't necessarily fit kind of the the mold that they had described to it but as you said he's just he's too good of a player to not have on the field and not play but Beavers is like he is the mold of, of what they want in a sniper and you know this better than I do but what he was a safety in high school and then defensive yeah, his, end in college
0: his junior year he told me he was like 175 180 pounds um he he grew his senior year his first year at UConn he was a linebacker and then last year as a sophomore They bulked him up to like 250, almost 260 And played him at defensive end So he's literally gone from safety to linebacker To defensive end in like a three year stretch
1: Right, so, you know, versatility All those kind of things like that Athleticism, that's all clearly there And, you know, part of it too is just you you also want to see does a guy look the part but can he play the part and i think once he got out there especially in spring and especially when the waiver stuff got cleared up it was it was clear pretty quick whether he starts or or not that he's he's going to play a role and i think as he's kind of getting a better grasp of everything and feeling more confident you're you're starting to see why maybe his snaps are increasing
0: what what are the other i mean outside of the, the camp that Wyatt Fisher has been having the past couple days. That's
1: what I thought you were going to bring up when you said <laughs> the most interesting thing from last night.
0: Um, What are some of the other, the other storylines that are jumping out? I mean, I know like we've talked a lot about right tackle coming in. I don't feel like between any of the three guys, have you really watched those three guys? And, and with any of them thought like this guy's, you know, this guy, cause I think the the initial belief was at some point Mets and Harper um, were going to pull away from McConnell, but I, I don't know that that's happened. I think they've all three been pretty even with with some good points and some bad points on each side going into the scrimmage Saturday. I think that race is still very close.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know with McConnell too. He was he missed a couple of days. He was kind of banged up, and so I think we all thought then like that was probably it. But then he was he was and I know they're still rotating, but he was running with the ones a lot last night. Um so I I think they're still trying to figure that out. That's definitely one of the areas looking at though, I I will never profess to be an offensive line blocking, you know, savant or <laughs> expert or anything like that. But you can, you know, when you're going up against guys like MyJai Sanders or or Michael Pitts or whatever, like you can kind of get a sense, I know these guys are good players. Can they can the offensive linemen hold their own against them? And I think you're right where you've seen good moments. We've seen some bad moments. We've seen some my spin moves uh, around guys. So
0: the swim move he put on, was it? I think it was Harper that day as either Harper. He's or got both of them. He put a spin move that just like both of us just like stood in awe for a second because he he literally was untouched to the quarterback. It, two little hesitation steps, swim move, and he was just bearing down to, to pound somebody.
1: Yeah, so and I think that's that's what you have. It's not that it's been terrible, it's not that it's been great, but it's also not that any one of them have kind of established themselves. And I think that's maybe a little bit different than defensive tackle, which was the other you know, another one of the big questions. Whereas I feel like there it's a similar thing where maybe there hasn't been one or two guys who have completely jumped ahead, but I think that's because they've all actually done really well just from talking to some of the coaches about, you know, how they were feeling coming into camp and how they're feeling now. I, I think they're really happy with the progress, especially Brooks ponder and Taylor, um, of 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 how that group's looking but you know marcus brown's in there and, and i think they feel like they can rotate all four of those guys and not in a way of let's see who you know who has it today or who can make a play but more of like we actually feel great about all of them
0: i i have been pleasantly surprised watching there have been days at camp where we'll go an hour and that defensive line will just destroy the offense yeah it just wrecked the offense quarterback scramble in um, the offense thrown completely off its rhythm. Uh, we've fortunately we've seen in most of those days the offense by the end of practice has been able to to, to get back on track. But I did not expect, and I looking back to last year, it might even at, at points feel like it's been more disruptive this year than it was last year.
1: Yeah, and part of that could just be the rotation. You yeah. know, as good stand as fresh. right as good as Copeland and Broughton were last year. They were, they were in there, you know, 80% of the time. And when when you can rotate guys basically at all four of those spots, I, I do think that helps because that you're doing that a lot less on the offensive line. Um, I also think, and you, you brought this up last night, you know, I think last year we thought that the, the back seven benefited a lot from, from Copeland and Broughton. And I, I definitely think that's true, but I also think you're probably seeing this year that some of these young defensive linemen are benefiting from really good coverage corners and safeties, um, you know, really good linebacker play. And and so they, they maybe are getting a little bit of a benefit from that um, and, and it's helping them because there's not an immediate place for the quarterback to go with the ball.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about this defensive backfield, there are very few times you see a wide receiver clear of the defense
1: mm-hmm.
0: or a tight end clear of the defense. Um, watching what they've built between Mike Mickens and John Tenuta uh, at the back end of that defense is just flat-out impressive. And it, it extends to the linebackers as well. How many, we, we saw it again last night, Perry Young making plays in space and just coming from nowhere. right to knock down a pass or get an interception. He got an interception off of it yesterday. Um, It feels like an every other day thing where Perry does something that just wows you. And we really, I don't think have seen a full force Brian, Wright Because he missed a week with the in concussion protocol.
1: Right. And you, there was a play last night though. Like the thing with him, even though he hasn't been out there full go, he's such a smart player that he, he just can, you know, he can sense, Where maybe this isn't exactly what's on the game plan for the play call for this play, but I know how to make this play, and I know I'm not going to put us in a bad spot. I'm actually going to help us, and you know that is that's a huge benefit of having someone like that in the middle. But even you know behind him, uh, DeBlanco has had a really good camp and just a really good offseason, and so you're you're starting to get uh, you know I don't want to like parrot what Fickle's always telling us, but you're starting to see at, at positions where you have you know, two guys or even more that they can really rotate in and and keep fresh, even at safety, like James Wiggins and Derek Forrest are not going to come off the field that much, but if they do have to, this year, there's actually some depth there.
0: I want to get to something real quick, but before we do, I want to remind you that the official beverage sponsor of the BCJ podcast is Trace Pountas Coffee, fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know that your coffee is fresh. You can find out about Trace Poundtas Coffee in this easy way. You go to www.tracepoundtas.com slash coffee. T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh for you and shipped out immediately. There are 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. And now, they also have K-Cups. They don't send me the K-Cups, but they have K-Cups. I get a 12-ounce bag every two weeks of the medium roast, as I have talked about many times on this podcast. My family fights over it, mainly my stepmother and my Um, mother-in-law. We very rarely, my wife very rarely gets to keep a bag here Because every time a shipment comes in, someone grabs the box and takes it home with them. That's how good Trace Pountas is. On the website, you can sign up for a coffee subscription and get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. When you sign up, you save 10% off every bag of coffee. But listeners of the BCJ podcast can get an extra 10% by using the code BEARCATS at checkout when buying a subscription. This means you get 20% off with the code BEARCATS at checkout. I need to bring you a bag you're you're a coffee guy
1: i basically especially this week i'm like subsisting on coffee so i'll never turn it down
0: next next time a box shows up i'll sneak it away from the uh the the members of my family that steal it i think my wife's best friend has taken just took a box recently like i I can't keep it in the house (laughs) and i'm like you know we sell this trace slash coffee intercode bearcats at checkout and you can get twenty percent off. Um, all right, here's something else I wanted to uh, to talk to you about. We haven't talked about this really, so I'm interested in your take. What is your take on this one A one B thing that uh. Fickle has implemented this year in terms of? Um, there's a first team and there's a second team, but really, there's like almost two first teams.
1: Yeah.
0: Because, like, we use defensive tackle for example. And they have done this a lot, which is the first team is basically all four guys. One A and one B. And they rotate them, and those are the guys that take reps with the first team. The second team is Deshaun Martin, and uh, I I think a walk-on has been uh, the other second team guy. But he is very serious in this implementation of we have multiple first team guys and those guys rotate in and out with the first team. Those are not, that guy's not a second team guy. Just because you're not a starter doesn't mean you're not a second team guy. Is this, I kind of think this is like a stroke of genius in how this roster has all of a sudden developed so much depth. It's a it's a mental exercise in making a lot of these guys feel like, even though they're not the starter, they're still on the first team. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and it's you know it's especially early in camp. It, we would always kind of point out like, "Whoa, you know, what is what is Hicks doing out there with the starting safeties?" And and then like at this point, it's just they're rotating like crazy, and and you're not. It's not like hey, this guy's a starter, and and this guy's been devoted. It's just they're gonna switch every other play. Um, but no, I, I I think you're right. Uh, I, you know, part of the thing with. Recruiting and and some of the depth that they've created especially with a lot of young guys is you know The the a lot of fans will talk about well Hey, if this guy doesn't play is, is he gonna transfer is he gonna leave and I think maybe not fickle's not thinking of it in that sense But I do think he's like how do I make sure? That these guys stay engaged that they're still fighting that they feel like they're gonna get on the field and be valued and he's basically done that by just completely rotating You know, some positions it's two, some positions it's three or four. There's a couple where it's, you know, probably a pretty clear number one. I don't think Kobe Bryant's going to come off the field very much. I don't think James Wiggins is going to come off the field very much. But uh, where there's 25 guys on each side of the ball that they feel comfortable sticking in there as a quote-unquote starter.
0: Yeah, I, I just think mentally, I think that's a big deal to guys. Because guys know, like. When the ones are on the field, the ones are on the field. And then right. he blows the whistle and then the twos come on the field. And I, I think there's mentally there is something to making them feel like they're part of the ones. Instead yeah. of making them feel like they're a two. I, I think it's I think it's brilliant in terms of just team morale and, and how you're pushing the buttons on some of these guys to get them to continue to buy in that says you're not a, or you're not running with the twos. You're not competing against the second team. Let's, you know, say it's uh, Ethan Tucky Mm -hmm. or, or Malik Van, you know, one of those guys. You're not playing against when it's ones versus ones, you're out there. You're not playing against the second teamers. You're playing against the first teamers. And we see you as a first teamer. I think mentally that's an important deal.
1: Well it's also you know, he he's talked about a lot of how you have to reward and all the assistants have to, you have to reward guys for performing well in practice, for basically doing what you ask them to do. And so someone like Brian Wright who has a great year is clearly going to be a big part of their defense so he's you know he's a starting middle linebacker but also Joel DeBlancos worked his ass off and had a great spring and had a great camp so you know instead of just being like it's tough because you have Brian right in front of you no actually you're gonna get a bunch whether he's hurt or not you're gonna be in there a bunch you're gonna be running with the ones you're gonna be calling the plays on the defense and yeah you know I think so someone who works really hard and then they they see that that is being rewarded that they are getting the chance even if there are good guys in front of them. It, it can only make them feel more confident, I would think, and more bought into the program.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a, uh, a, a stroke of genius in philosophy that I don't think we've talked about enough this, this spring or this summer, this camp. I think there's been so much stuff going on that it's kind of slid under the radar. You should do a story on that someday. All right. um, <laughs> <laughs> we joke about this because when Justin got here, I, I gave him a bunch of story ideas. To, to help him get him on his feet and running. Now he doesn't need my help anymore.
1: He, he's uh, not life. true. Not true. I, all, you know, I will always gladly accept your help.
0: <laughs> You're big time. Now, Jim Harbaugh oh, reads your stuff.
1: Stop. stop. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me know when fickle starts reading it. Then maybe, then maybe.
0: <laughs> Amy, Amy, not, <laughs> I mean, like I said, you got the boss, you got the, the important person in that family is reading your articles. So, um, Let's talk about the, the offense a little bit before I let you get to your uh, your appointment with your wife with the uh, the bail bondsman.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, I only got one phone call, so you know I hope you're happy I made it to you.
0: Absolutely, uh, she, she's coming. Oh, that's what she's coming in for a conjugal interview. <laughs>
1: if, if I were in, I would never see her again. I- <laughs>
0: um, wide receiver, uh, I think we all wanted to see. The, the story of the spring was alec Pierce we all wanted to see if he could replicate that if he could continue to improve he has by far been the number one wide receiver in this roster on this roster through camp would you agree
1: yeah are you talking outside or are you going to put him all wide receivers I think he's including been the,
0: the, the most consistent guy and and maybe some of that is Madaris and jason jackson split so many reps that maybe it's prevented one of them from really you know jumping up and 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 being that that main guy, but it, it feels like every day, consistently, outside of he was he had two days missed with general camp soreness. I think we were told it was
1: right. Which we we both were like, yeah, we have that too.
0: Yeah, I still have it, and I have not. They they have not held me out of festivities. Um, but outside of those two days, every day that kid is consistently making plays. I, I think he's he's becoming a legit number one outside
1: guy. Yeah, I mean, by far of the outside guys, he stood out. But I, I do think you're right. I think you can make the argument if you just say which which wide right receiver, you know, regardless the of position, man. yeah, has jumped out the most. It's it's him. And maybe they're going to him a little bit more because they know what they have with Medeiros. But I I do think that's that's definitely a, a fair argument.
0: Inside, you know what you're going to get with Medeiros and those guys, Medeiros and Jackson. I, the guy, the guy, I'll continue to talk about. And you know, my my man crush on this kid is growing. Trey Tucker's really good. Yeah. Like he's going to have a hard time getting snaps against those two. But man, that kid it, he is not a, he is not a track guy. He is not a speed guy that that's out on a football field. That kid is a football player.
1: Yeah, they're going to I mean, the the best thing you can say is they're going to have to find like a package for him or, you know, just a couple plays where they get him on the field because the what he can do the there are you know a lot of guy really skilled guys at that position but he can do some things that no one else on that team can do.
0: He runs great routes, he's got great hands. I think my favorite thing is that kid's just competitive. Yeah. Like every ball that's coming his way, he is competing to make the play. Uh, I am a big big Trey Tucker guy and I think over the next 4 or 5 years that's going to be a name UC fans are absolutely going to love.
1: Um, Especially, you know, I mean probably not this year but at some point we probably get to see him returning punts, returning yeah. kicks, things like that.
0: He's, he's exciting. That other, the, the W spot, the other outside spot is the interesting one. Um, Trink cloud probably is the leader in the clubhouse in, in terms of at least he's the guy that, that tends to go out there uh, first. But I thought Thomas Geddes has started to come on a little bit the past couple days. Uh, unfortunately, Malik Moj Moj I Moj, <laughs> Look, I learned that name once, and his name was Shek Mudge. Okay? Mudge is the name. And then I'm told that that's not how Malik pronounces it. He pronounces it Muj or Moj. However it is, the name I learned is Mudge. So he's Mudge. It's like the Tulane Tulsa thing. I don't know the difference between Tulane and Tulsa. And I, I know, but I do know that M-B-O-D-J spells Mudge. That's what I know it's fair enough he uh he hyperextended a knee um so he's out probably through the first like they're hoping to have him back probably not for UCLA but shortly thereafter um, I was
1: say, it seems like UCLA what might be tough but yeah it's it's going to be right kind of around that Ohio that State time, it seems.
0: or probably I would maybe Marshall would be a, a better indicator um to get him back on the field, usually they like to get a kid a week back in practice uh, before the game week that they're active. So we'll see on that one. Uh, my guy Wyatt Fisher is, is is continues to make plays. He looks like I mean, if you told me in eight years that kid was still playing for the Patriots, I'd believe you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's he was a kid yesterday who's like you. You know, you're kind of getting forced into some snaps, but he's he's making them count.
0: That's what I mean. That's we talked about it with. Um, with Taj Ward, Taj Ward, yeah, because all the corners were hurt in the spring, Taj Ward took that opportunity and said, all right, I'm going to get better. And I'm going to challenge to play at, at, at significant minutes at corner. And now he's one of the top three guys, especially with Arquan Bush out. And you know what we hardly ever talk about at practice? I don't know that we've talked about it once at practice. Boy, Taj Ward really got beat on that one. Right. Do you remember him getting beat hard at, like, at all this game? No,
1: I mean – that then we talked about it a little bit before. I just there have been you know some big long touchdown passes and things like that. But you rarely say like, "Wow, that guy just got burned." Yeah, a
0: lot of them. The it's it, it tends to be a miscommunication, or right? you know, right? There was a cross between what the safety was doing and what the corner was doing. Stuff that you're in camp to work out more so than you know, guy A just ran right by guy B. Um, I'm a, I'm a Wyatt Fisher guy, man. Uh, I talked to him yesterday. That video is up in the uh, the videos from practice 13. Uh, quiet kid, but I mean, he's on he's he's first team on three special teams units, and he's trying to to make his way into the rotation at wide receiver. It might not be this year, but it ain't going to be long before we're not talking about Wyatt Fisher as a walk on.
1: I was say that he seems like the you know the guy who is going to be. The, the next one to have the announcement during a meeting that he's got put on scholarship and stuff like that he's he's certainly working his way towards that
0: yeah um tight end yeah, i didn't give away the formation uh, i didn't give away the situation but i did put on the board that yesterday for the first time in camp we saw the ever elusive four tight end set mm-hmm. and people are freaking out <laughs>
1: we saw it saw it in like two they they did a couple variations of it actually yeah. like they they yeah. messed around with it and we won't. We won't go any farther than that. But
0: <laughs> it's a it's a wild deal to have that much talent. You're comfortable putting four tight ends on the field at the same time, right? Uh, tight end room about as good as expected. I mean, they have thrown to them a ton, and those guys are making plays. I had Leonard Taylor with two fifty-plus yard plays yesterday.
1: Well, that was. Wow. They're
0: impressive.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say Wiley really, you know, early in camp, and then still, but you know, he just he really kind of jumped up, and I think both of us were kind of like, oh, you know, Lenny had a good spring. He hasn't done as much, and then you know, this week I feel like we're seeing spring Lenny, and you know, those might be the third and fourth guys. They they might yeah. be behind Bruno and and Josiah technically on the depth chart, and and they both had, I would say, really really good camp so far. Uh,
0: Lenny yesterday, we were standing there. He caught a pass and turned it up field and started running down the sideline. And he was coming towards all of us. And I legitimately thought he was going to take out like seven people.
1: Yeah. But, like some he of the injured guys lying. were there. And <laughs> like, I thought he was going to, I thought Cam Jeffries was done for.
0: Uh, uh, Ar- well, Arquan Bush couldn't get out of the way if he wanted to. <laughs> He's in a cast. Lenny, calm down. Don't kill Arquan. We like him. Settle down, big fella. Um. And then running back, that that room kind of speaks for itself. Like the, Mike Warren has been fantastic all camp. I, I really like what we've seen from Dokes, McClelland uh, as well. And then with, with Tavion Thomas being in the doghouse the past week, we've gotten a little bit more of a look at Ryan Montgomery. And, and guess what, Justin? He's pretty damn good, too. The fifth guy is really good.
1: Yeah, like they definitely have four good running backs. And depending on, you know... Um, you know kind of the wild card of Tavion they have five they might have five really good running backs if if Ryan Montgomery is as good as he's looked that's been
0: kind of the the revelation in that room it's like my god you've buried a guy that has no chance to see the field that is also very very good like before he blew out his knee he was one he was one of the better prospects in the area and I think he just kind of got forgotten because he gray-shirted he rehabbed his knee. He did everything that was asked of him. We got a couple glimpses of him in the spring where it looked like he was still kind of getting back on track. And, I mean, he's put on a bunch of weight. He looks good. He looks fast. And Doug Phillips, that is a blessed man. <laughs> yeah, it, it, like, you that you walk into that room every day, and you, you look upstairs. You give it to little Sammy Sosa. like, job security is a beautiful <laughs> thing, my friends.
1: No wonder he's always in such a good mood, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right I, before your, uh before your parole officer comes in, any 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 closing thoughts for you as we, uh, we we were what two weeks to the day from the opener. We've got tonight's practice. Uh tomorrow is closed to the media. it's a it's a non padded walkthrough. There really wouldn't be anything to report anyway. Uh, and then we got a scrimmage Saturday off day Sunday and I think Monday and Tuesday are the last two days at higher ground. So five days before they break camp, the end is in sight. The finish line is near. Is there any final thoughts you have before I let you go?
1: I realize this isn't the most exciting, but I am, you know, they went so well early on with injuries and just in the past seven to eight days, they've had some guys get banged up. I'm, I'm curious how, how that all is going to progress going to yeah. the opener against UCLA because they have some guys who they're protecting a little bit, you know, that they could maybe be out there more than they are. But they just want to take care of some guys that are battling to get back. Um, and so I think you feel pretty good about most of the spots, you know, yes, i still some questions at right tackle still some questions at wide receiver, but it's not like it's a complete, yeah. um, you know, I mean, disaster at any of those, but whether they can, can maybe shore up and, and get a little bit healthy going into the season, I think will be interesting to see.
0: Yeah. Losing Arquan Bush, obviously for the first chunk of the season, a segment of the season, um, is unfortunate. Uh, I think Colin Woodside is a pretty big one because right now they, they don't really have, uh, a, a long-term answer at, at backup center. I think that was Woodside. Um, he was the second team center. So I think those two are pretty big. And then Bacevich from a depth standpoint, so far it's been hits to depth, mm-hmm. um, which you don't want because you want depth to be a strength, but that's where the majority of those issues have been so far is, is chipping away at the depth a little bit. Uh, but, but hopefully they can maintain because what, Wednesday was one of those days where it felt like every 15 minutes somebody was on the ground yeah so all right brother well thank you for coming on thank you for your uh, your excellent journalism
1: I appreciate you're, you sir
0: you're a high quality journalist
1: it's very kind of you
0: you're a man with words
1: <laughs> I appreciate it
0: and a parole hearing that's um, right
1: <laughs> they're, they're coming they're coming in right now
0: all right well Take him out in the – make sure you got the, the, the shackles on his ankles. He's a runner. He might try to get away from you. And uh, I will see you here in a couple hours of practice. See, see you at practice, man. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I'm Chad Brendel. Thanks to Justin Williams of The Athletic for joining me. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.